0: Hello my friends and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I had to re-record the intro just now because you know I don't use a script or anything and I said farm machinery digest radio. So that's not good. Wrong show. Right guy, wrong show. I guess it's like uh right church, wrong pew, which happens to be my life story. But thank you again for joining me today. I greatly greatly appreciate it and God willing everything is going well you wherever you happen to hang your hat in this world so uh you know the uh, i spoke about it on the radio show and i just want to touch base on it i mean uh, uh here with the podcast because those wildfires out in canada or just on un- or up in canada i should say are just unbelievable and uh, the smoke is really was really pretty bad oh, i'm not gonna say it's pretty bad it's not like you couldn't function but uh it was uh pretty smoky here on the farm and uh it's funny because i don't have any automatic headlights on my cars so i don't need the car to tell well the car to tell me when to put my headlights on or, or decide that for me but so many people that i have those then it was so uh smoky that everybody's headlights were evoking so the sensors were thinking it was dark and uh, and the smell of the wood burning was very very potent considering that in theory the the smoke that was coming here to warren county new jersey originated in uh, quebec so terrible and my heart and prayers goes out to everyone up in canada because those is as horrific as the wildfires are that we have in the united states and by no means am i downplaying those whatsoever but i don't but the idea that from what i understand is that all of canada is burning from nova scotia to the west coast and that is un- unbelievable in a negative sense and I just in my heart goes out to those people the animals the wildlife i mean terrible i mean terrible uh, i don't think there's anything good about it but the is a, ter- a terrible situation and uh, we the, the people and the animals in canada definitely need to be in our prayers along with every place else in the united states and canada that are experiencing f- wildfires and other horrific things so uh and let me see what else i want to take a couple of things over here that i want to talk about first of all uh on a positive note i got a nice email the other day from a long time listener and he lives out in pennsylvania he lives in manheim pennsylvania now he formerly used to hang his hat in lit pennsylvania and I believe he still works for, well, it used to be Binkley and Hearst, which was a, a farm equipment dealership. And I actually bought my Unreferred Perfecta 12 there. And my, well, I think it's not a, called a brilliant subsoil. brilliant was bought by Landall, so mine actually says a Landall. on I wish it would have said brilliant. Nothing makes any difference. But uh Whatever i always wanted a brilliant subsoil and i bought a land well a land all and that was all back in 2016 when i bought my uh had my new planter made so bought everything in one year which was exciting and uh, you only had to write the check once but anyway but uh glendon zimmerman is a, a very very high quality person a very dedicated tech mechanic slash technician whatever you want to call it I call him a mechanic <clears throat> and uh as uh Bruce Jack Borkas wrote me a note last week also and he was saying that the mechanic fixes things the technician needs a computer and I guess and not I guess and I agree with him 100% but uh anyway but Glendon wrote me a note he's catching up on his on the back podcast and I will read it to you He goes, Hi Ray, I listened to your recent episode on myths and law and want to share two of my favorites with you. My dad always believed that a lead acid battery will discharge if it is stored on concrete. If he removed the battery, he would always set it on a block of wood. Have you come across this one before? I grew up with that one, (laughs) Glendon. So uh that always put a battery on a block of wood. Uh, lead acid battery because it's going to discharge and then back many years ago when i was a young man and uh i went up to school in general motors in terrytown new york at ac delco and i mentioned this this um, my instructor many many times a man i hold very dear in my heart sadly he's gone home to the lord about 10 or 15 years ago um mr richard Hip. And I remember being a young guy in the class and putting my hand up and asking Mr. Richard Hip that Mr. Hip, and um, and he said that it is all hogwash. It has nothing to do with anything. But even though it has nothing to do with anything, I guess old habits die hard. Because if I pull a battery out and it's going to sit for a long time, and I happen to have a piece of wood, I set it on there. I said, well, it can't hurt, but but as far as the truth be known that there is not it's an old wives tale and and i don't know how it got its roots how it got its roots and i want to thank you for sharing that that law that automotive law right but then he also continues to write in another is a mystery of a case ih 3294 tractor that had a solid clunk from the right rear wheel during every revolution nothing external on the wheel was loose or contacting anything on the chassis i removed the wheel which was stuck onto the axle incredibly tight and disassembled the axle the bearing gears etc were all fine i put it together with new bearings and yes the clunk was still there i was so it was so pronounced that you felt it that you felt compelled to slow down Puzzled, I drove the tractor out the lane and back once more, and then the sound forever disappeared. To this day, I am baffled what caused the sound and why it ceased. Thanks for the great show, Glendon Zimmerman. So Glendon, I want to thank you so much for sharing that because that is definitely one of those mysteries, all right? And that is is a real mystery, right? To have a clunk that's so pronounced that you could feel it. And then to go up on the out on the paved road and run it all around and put it back together, I have no idea. I would be guessing just as you would, because you're a good mechanic. And but the important thing is it was fixed, thank God. And why it fixed it, who knows? Uh, <clears throat> who knows, right? And uh, but that is what is so uh, interesting and gives us all mechanics gray and thinning hair, because. If you're doing something like that, it's a customer, and uh, whether it's a car, whether it's a truck, whether it's a farm tractor, a piece of machinery, and you go through all of that, and the guy's going to say, "You, I'm not going to pay you for that because it's still clunking. Is that clunking worse? What would you do? You messed it up, and that gives us many sleepless nights and gray hair. And that was 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 so wonderful. Uh, I was blessed when I worked for a diagnostic company, when I worked for BMW, because you had those instances and because uh, they are not <laughs> they <clears throat> they know no boundaries they know no borders they know no politics they know nothing and you have those in, those instances but in that particular situation is that uh you didn't you weren't trying to get paid for it and that makes a big big difference in the in in, in the world when you're trying to get paid for something legitimately because you are making a living you're doing the job and you did nothing wrong but yet it you cannot, in right, in 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 good conscience charge somebody for doing something that you did not fix and then oftentimes that uh, even if you did fix it or whatever the people don't want to pay you anyway so uh, I've never worked on farm equipment as as Glendon does for a living. So I've only worked on my own farm equipment or helped somebody that I knew. So I am sure that, that the people that are a pain in the neck and don't want to pay in the car business are also floating around in the farm end of it. But for the most part, I think most farmers are very fair and truthful people and that they realize that uh, you're doing more than the best you can you're doing what is right and sometimes it just does not work out that way and you know uh, it's it's interesting <clears throat> going off of glendon's story is that as you all know we raise fresh market sweet corn and uh and and rightfully so the public is is completely disconnected from farming for, and if not for the most part, a hundred percent. But anyway, and as time goes on, it gets it gets worse and worse as far as a disconnect is concerned. But yeah, you know, we have very low CEC soil, and I always say that. And my my hybrid that I plant, my sweet corn, is a real, real uh, prima donna. And then uh, other people who raise sweet corn around here are more. I <clears throat> I don't want to say production, but there's a guy down there about five or six miles away. I mean, a nice guy. I have nothing against him whatsoever. I mean, of course, I have nothing against him. But uh, he puts in. I mean, a, a good amount of sweet corn. I'd say close to two hundred acres. And if you don't, if you're not, if you're out in the Midwest, or so you're up in, and there's a packing of uh, uh, a processing plant there, and you're selling sweet corn to a uh, to a cannery or a processing plant, then two hundred acres doesn't seem like that much. But when you're doing fresh market sweet corn and you're supplying supermarkets within the tri-state areas he is or within let's say a 50 or 100 mile range and and uh he has he has uh a a beautiful farm stand well actually built a building a few years ago the word on the street or i should say in the cornfield was that the structure cost him over a million dollars i mean to me i personally think he was crazy because you're not going to get any more for your fruits and vegetables, and you'd have to sell a heck of a lot more fruits and vegetables to uh, to, uh, to make a million dollars, or to make back a million dollars. But anyway, I guess, God willing, it's working for him. He does a lot of this agritourism and that other stuff, but uh, but he's also selling ice cream. So another farmer told him, if you wanted to sell ice cream, you should have bought a Dairy Queen. But anyway, but you know, th- through that distribution network, 200 acres or so of sweet corn even 150 acres of sweet corn is quite a lot of sweet corn and from what I could see is that he probably plants a higher uh, population and I do most sweet corn guys probably plant around 24,000 to 25,000 plants per acre I do 20,400 right so i know he's on 30 inch rows and uh he is closer so i think it's he's probably got that plant to set for about 24 25,000 plants per acre so if you do the math and uh and you get a good percentage of marketable yield that is a lot of corn to pull out of the field if you're not selling it all to one big organization or one or two big organizations but uh Anyway, so the fact of the matter is that they dairy farm, I'm, I'm just getting back to what I was trying to say about disconnect with people, <clears throat> is that they dairy farm for many, many years, and they still <clears throat> they still dairy farm, but to a much lesser extent, and uh, they probably run around 800, eight, 900 acres, uh, mixed crops. But anyway, uh, I, I don't know what his soil CEC is, Uh, but i know he's about five six miles away and the soil is a lot nicer there at least visually than mine and and a lot less rocks but with all that manure i'm sure he has a lot more organic matter than i do all right so and the point that i'm getting at and it gets back to to a little bit with glendon's tractor is that uh people don't understand why he has a uh less trouble getting his crop to emerge and come up and uh, germinate and emerge than I do. And uh, so the the layperson's consensus is that he is a better farmer than I am. And I'm not going to say that he is or he isn't, all right? But I would say we're in spitting distance of each other as far as our skill sets, as far as farming is concerned. And that is not where I'm tooting my own horn, by no means, all right? But the fact of the matter is that he has a better soil and a better organic matter and in a year like well the past couple years and specifically this year how dry it is that you uh that's going to make a big difference in getting that corn up out of the ground and he is much warmer than i am he's actually 700 feet lower in altitude than i am and has uh i'm underneath a rock ledge or on top of a rock ledge so you put that all together and his corn jumps out of the ground like a dragster off the line compared to mine and plus like i said my hybrid is a real prima donna and i should really if i were a smart businessman which i am not i should really plant a different hybrid that's a little bit, that's not much of a prima donna, at least my first plantings, and try to get those up out of the ground. But then my customers, I'm going to have to tell them it's not the same corn, and I'm certainly not going to lie to them. So whatever, it is what it is. But anyway, just like, you know, with Glendon's tractor, is a layperson, right, the person who owns the tractor, owns the car, they can't understand why it still makes noise after you fix it. Just like people over in town can't understand why <coughs> this guy's corn... <coughs> Excuse me, is jumping up out of the ground. And mine isn't. So the natural assumption would be, he's a much better farmer than you, Hot Rod. And then the natural assumption would be with a repair that you didn't fix it right or you misdiagnosed it or you messed it up. And uh and no one likes to deal with that. I mean, as far as the crop is concerned, it's no big deal. But anyway, I you know, like every farmer, you ride by everybody's farm i don't sneak into his field out of respect i know not that he would shoot me if i did but i just you just don't do that i mean you know in agriculture you guys know you just don't you can ride by from the road and look at the crops but you don't get out of the out of the car or the truck and sneak into the guy's field and look at stuff all right so you, whatever you could see from the road that's public that's public access right so uh but i rode by this morning and we've been very very dry as you all know and um his corn is, I'd say, probably, well, the one field that I could see. Uh, and I honestly don't think that that's sweet corn. I think it's field corn in that field. Uh, like I said, it looks like he plants. It, it's hard for me to tell from the road. But uh, anyway, is that, uh, let's say it is a sweet corn, because I know the other field is there. But anyway, uh, that uh, it's probably about V4. So it's about eh, six inches high corn and it is uh it came up beautifully came up quickly and uh was growing very nice and the field looks nice and even but it is starting to roll the leaves at uh, that early stage which is not good so hopefully not good for him and i saw also he does have irrigation and i saw yes that yesterday the day before when i rode by he didn't have the hoses out there and everything he's got now he's setting up he's working on running his irrigation onto it so my irrigation comes from the good lord and uh his irrigation comes from uh well the good lord makes the water right but uh maybe uh I don't think I think that electric pump there, so maybe JCP&L <laughs> supplies it so who knows but God bless them that's wonderful like I said no I mean uh, but that's you know that's the problem when you're working on stuff and that's a problem with your farm. well that guy's got it over there how you know, come I mean, you don't have it well it's you know six miles away different soil different seed different temperature and uh, and with with equipment sometimes you just don't know why it's not wanting to fix all right so that basically is that uh, <clears throat> let me see what else. I want to tell you if you don't know about it. This uh, I sent it to a couple of people I know. I didn't hear back from them, so I don't know whether. Well, they're not farmers, right? So they're car guys. So it probably is not going to resonate with them, uh, as it would with a farmer. But uh, there's a. I guess it's a magazine you call. I think it's. Called, I, I should know what it's called. Of course, I've written for them for many years, and it's. Uh, it's Five Star Publishing out of Fort Dodge, Iowa and is, I think they call it the Farm and Livestock Directory, and they have, I think, three different issues. It basically has the same content, and there's a Midwest issue, I think a Southern issue, and a uh, Northeast issue. But anyway, I found out about from, I got my latest issue, right, my complimentary copy, and uh, I found out about this video, and I don't remember the singer's name, but he he was a farmer, a dairy farmer, and he ended up giving up, giving up, giving up the cows uh, on his watch. And I guess his family had the farm for quite some time, and they were dairying, and they ended up having to give up the cows. And so the song is called "Empty Barn," E M P T Y Barn. And there's a YouTube video with him singing. And from what I understand is that when he decided to do this, so I don't know what his background is, whether he's sung before, because I certainly can't sing a song. I could sing it. You wouldn't want to listen to it. Uh, but what he did is that he put out, uh, I guess, on social media, and that particular instance it worked well for him. And uh, he asked for people to send actual pictures, of their cows and their families with the cows and their operations and they did and it's a very very uh poignant song uh brings tears to your eyes and uh it is uh called empty barn so if you get a chance do an internet search on it it's a youtube video the song is about four minutes long and uh it tells the story of giving up the cows and how your life goes on, but how your heart is empty with the empty barn. So it's a, uh, it's. I, I thought it was wonderful, and I thought it was very, very poignant. And I know that we've had family, friends, and a lady from church, and that a few years back, and uh, had to give up the cows. And uh, it, it's not. It's it's not, it, it's 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 not a pretty. It, it's 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 not i don't want to say a pretty sight it's not fun if your heart is really with the animals now i know there's people who gave up the cows and they love it they're happy as a lock right well they truly didn't love their animals Mm, no disrespect but that is what it is if you truly love the animals respected and honored them then once they go away it's it is an empty feeling that will no longer that that void will never ever be filled in your heart again so uh check that out uh i do have some corn coming up by god's grace uh it's inconsistent but i am grateful for what is there there is some popping up very slowly Uh, it's not popping up in rows but uh but some of it is popping up and uh so we will see right we're supposed to god willing get some rain this week and uh maybe that i think if we give it a drink then it will definitely definitely uh jump up and jump up to attention all right so god willing that's that and the other thing i want to tell you you know uh you're know, talking most well <clears throat> i should say probably four people who listen to this show maybe five let's say 10 all right i'll be i'll exaggerate i don't think it's 10 but maybe if i maybe if i counted it was 10 actually physically know me but probably three or four people really know me. The rest of you just know me on the podcast or the radio. I believe that you know my heart, all right? But you don't really know me, right? I mean, whatever, we could be full of it, you know, right? I think that you know that I'm not. But anyway, and I'm laying this as a precursor, as a segue into it. I never want anybody to work for free for me. No way, shape, or form. I mean, so if I've called somebody to do something, I expect I want to pay them, you know, which is in stark contrast to a lot of people today, well, probably it's always that way, that they want something for nothing, all right, I never was that that, that way, I may not want to work with you, I mean, hire you to do something because I feel that your price is too high, or other things but that does not mean that i don't want you to get paid so i mean if you say to me x amount of dollars for this i say okay thank you that's i and my father was as a young kid always used to embarrass me because re- very rarely did did we ever pay anybody to do anything regardless of what it was all right, and uh, which which was good. That was the old farmer mentality. You get up on the roof, and you, you don't know how to do roofs, but you figure out, and you put some shingles on it, right? You did your own plumbing work. And uh, so my father, the, the rare instances were if he had to buy something, no matter what the price was, he thought it was too high. Right, and uh, I guess depression error mentality and what have you, and uh, who knows? I'm maybe I'm giving him more credit than it's due, but always too high. And he used to go, So let's say somebody said, Okay, it's, whatever $50. For that he used to go, I don't know if I could do, it. I haven't done a few years ago, like that. He used to make this like sound like $50 and he keep repeating, Phew. and I used to be so embarrassed as a young boy. To have you know, and uh, <clears throat> I'm not saying that you open your wallet and give the people what they whatever they want, but you know, just okay, thank you very much. That's uh, that's more than I was than I than I have budgeted or willing to pay for this or or what have you. I mean, and because somebody has a price, that's huge, It doesn't mean that the price is bad. It just it's more than my dad wanted to pay for it, which doesn't say much because other than paying a penny or a dollar for something, he really didn't want to pay much for anything, all right? So, but... What I'm leading up to is that, so I grew up saying to myself, I'm, I never did, whew, in my life, even though people did their own versions to me many, many times. And believe it or not, even in this career, as a writer or a radio show, you talk, you talk to an advertiser or, I guess the proper word is sponsor. You're not advertising them, but you're sponsors. And you give them a price for something for a spot on the radio show, and uh, they have their, and they don't go, whew. They go, oh, we don't have the budget for that. That's the, that's the typical thing thing today in business we don't and i don't care what business you're in if you're real and not lying we don't have the budget for that doesn't mean they don't have the money that they don't want to give it to you or just like my father did so so we don't have the budget as his his, my father would my father's few so anyway so what i'm getting at is that and you know when you're in business you got to do what you got to do, and I'm not saying that you give away the store. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you work for free. And my father did have a saying also, which was a good saying. He goes, "I, you know, I, I want you to make money, but I don't want you to retire on me." And he probably picked it up later in life because I don't remember and the few ever being with that. But uh, so, what I'm getting at half hour to the show. Is that we had a tree go down in the one cornfield around near the, the top of the field, and um, it—it it, was—it's a—I'm <clears throat> not going to say it's not a sequoia tree. It's a—it's a fairly big tree, and the way it went down is that it didn't completely. It's probably ninety percent broken. All right, and um, it wasn't it, it was a good sized tree, but it had a lot of girth to it, and I have a small chainsaw and i've been putting this off doing it because i knew it was going to be a a pain in the neck and i am not a tree cutter i mean i'm a functional chainsaw operator i am not a tree feller stuff that's on the ground i'll work with no problem i am not every time i tried to fell a tree in my life i almost got killed or did something it's just not my whatever and uh so I, I'm afraid of trees I'll, I'll admit it I'm afraid of trees when, I, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're felling them but on the ground it's pretty good but the way this one broke and to me it looks like it's still got too much too much stress at certain points and the way it came onto the ground with the with the limbs is that I feel that if you if I were to cut it to relieve that it's going to kick now, my saw is small. It's I think it's it's a steel MS-170. So I think that means it's got a 17 or 18-inch bar. But you that's a Mickey Mouse saw, uh, uh, hot rod. I was to say ox because my wife calls me ox. That's a Mickey Mouse. And it is Mickey Mouse in that sense, but it's a perfect saw for me because I cut brushes, I cut limbs, I cut branches off. It's a perfect saw for me. And if the tree is on the ground, I could work where it takes me a little bit more to cut it. But it is not. It's 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 perfect because it's like anything. It's like my Ranger. Well, maybe I can't put four thousand pounds in it, but ninety-nine percent of what I need for it to do it does. So for me to have a big saw with a thirty-six-inch bar to cut raspberry bushes off the corner of the field doesn't doesn't pay, right? When it doesn't pay. That tree is dysfunctional. So anyway, so I'm over there trimming this tree the best I can because I mean <clears throat> I don't want to plant around it. That looks so Mickey Mouse, but. Uh, you got to do what you got to do. I'm one person. I got to try to get the crop in the ground in this other field. And realistically, I mean, even though it's going to look like look 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 Mickey Mouse with me planting planting corn around it, financially there's probably twenty dollars worth of corn that'll be blocking. Let's say fifty dollars worth of corn if the corn even grows this year with no rain. So. I get out there the other day, and I start to work on them. I'm, 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 and it went. It still went green, so I put leaves on it and everything, which is the worst thing in the world, right? <clears throat> makes it so much harder to work with. So I'm trimming up the best I can, and I get to the point I'm trimming off the branches so I could get down to the trunk and to the limbs and everything. And I just don't feel, I said, you know, when you have a little saw like that, I mean, it takes a long time to cut through anything with girth, and you have to really manipulate the saw to get through the girth, and then also you have to stand very close to what you're cutting. So that is where you're afraid. I'm afraid that if it kicks, and and honestly, to tell you the truth, if I were to get hurt, even minimally hurt by that tree, I am literally out of business. I mean, I'm out of business. Depending, I'm out of business with the with the crop if it grows, with the farm, I'm out. Of, I could be potentially out of business with the radio show. I mean, I'd have to run back episodes. I'd have to be out of business with the podcast. Uh, my writing career, I, I, depending upon how I got hurt, I mean, even if it's not life-threatening, I could literally be out of business. So you got to weigh that in life. So you got to put your ego aside and make it make a, a real practical, common sense approach to it. So I said, ah, I'm looking at this. I, 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 it's not going to work for me. I don't feel comfortable with it. Right? So there's a guy down the road who bought a house, an older house, uh, about two mile, mile and a half away just outside of Hackettstown during COVID, and he fixed it all up, and he's in the tree business. And he, he's got about, I would say, probably two acres of land. He's got, he's got some beautiful new equipment, beautiful new trucks, so I don't know where the money comes from. But anyway, so he every once in a while he would buy corn from us never bought much maybe a half a dozen it's good i'm grateful for that right so i'm saying a business sense i'm giving you my business my business i don't want to say acumen my business theory because i'm in business to sell corn and if you buy i'd rather have you buy one ear instead of all the people who ride by the farm stand and buy nothing if everybody who rides by the farm stand bought one ear of corn no problems buddy i'd be making money hand over fist so, anyway, so he seemed like a decent guy. I mean, other than when he rides by, he waves to me. And if I'm out in the field and I wave back to him, and uh, nice equipment. So, anyway, so I look him up. I have my phone with me. <clears throat> so I knew the, the name of his business. And I'm not going to say it here out of respect because it's moot. And I look him up and he answers the phone. And uh, he is, I think he said he's from Ecuador originally. All right. Uh, and he has an accent, but I mean, he speaks speaks very well i mean doesn't speak broken english at all but has an accent so anyway so i tell him you know i got this tree down and uh i wanted to confirm that i had the right place i said this is you this is where you live yeah 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 you got this new truck yeah 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 that's him right so i said then i got the farm over across from the church right on 517 i said "I had a tree come down i said i cleaned it up as best as i could and uh would you? Uh, I want to know if you want to come look at it and see what you charge me to. I said, all I want you to do is slice it up in three or four pieces, and I'll take it. So anyway, so I don't even think he heard that. So he said, okay, what's the what what's the address? I said, it's a cornfield. It has no address. I said, I'm right across from the from the Panther Valley Church. So uh, anyway, this went on for like three minutes, and I said to him, <clears throat> I said, look, come out of your driveway, make a left. Go about a mile and a half. You'll go past Ridge Road. The next road is Cat Swamp Road. My The field that I'm in is right along Route 517 and the quarter of 517 and Cat Swamp Road. I said, and my truck is parked If The tree is right near the road. All right, maybe 100, 200 feet in from the road. It's not at the back end of the field. And my truck is right there. So they said, oh, I got to go cross Route 80. He said, no, you're not listening. All right, so, so finally he comes brand new i'd see a brand new beautiful uh, uh doramax uh gmc uh well, the top of the line denali crew cab four-wheel drive you know so uh everything so he comes he gets so i shake his hand that you know he's in the truck he said it's a beautiful truck shake his hand and he's sitting in a truck looking at the tree and so that's what i want right there so let me just explain it again i could cut it up I said, I want you to just take it with your saw, with a big saw and and your professional tree cutter and slice it, maybe three or four cuts. Just relieve the tension off it, where it didn't, and then three or four cuts and I'll take it from there. So now he grabs, he grabs a, a, a clipboard and his paperwork. I said, I said, I don't need that. I don't need an estimate. I said, just, I'm, I'm not being cocky. I said, just tell me what you want. I'll pay you. All I want is four cuts three or four cuts so I could work with it and then I could take it and I could push it in the the hedgerow with the tractor with the whatever right so he's got the clipboard with him everything he's looking at says all right says five hundred dollars I'll clean it all up I'll come with my chipper and everything clean it up I said "I, I I said I don't want that I said all I want you to do is give me three slices with your saw zing zing like cutting a pizza three slices that's it and I, I don't i don't i said i don't need to have it cleaned up i'll clean it up myself so he said "Well, that's going to be a lot of work i said yeah but it's going to be a lot of work but i i have time to do it because this is the last section of the field i plan anyway i said look i don't, I don't even know if i'm going to have a crop this year with the weather i said i just want just three slices four slices boom 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 right that's it i mean honestly i'm breaking away from the story he spent more time trying to sell me a chipper job for five hundred dollars for a tree that's a rotted tree at the end of the cornfield or it's the side of the cornfield and uh then if he would have taken his saw And when zoom, 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 right, three or four cuts, right, uh, it would have been added. So anyway, so I said to him, no, I don't, so he keeps trying to shove the chipper job down my throat. I said, no, I said, look, you don't understand. I said, just, just, I just want, oh, that's a lot. I said, I know it's going to be work, but I'm not worried about that, right? Then he looks at my saw, picks up my saw, he says, this saw is too small. I said, I know it's too small, i said because that's why i'm calling you because if i had a bigger saw and i could cut the cut the trunk easily and stand away from it because i'm afraid it's going to kick when i start to cut it i said so that's why i'm calling you so he says all right so he's looking around he's got his clipboard so he goes all right okay three hundred dollars so i said okay three hundred dollars so he says yes so he says, three hundred dollars right so uh so i said and he says he says but I'm not I'm not chipping up just 300 dollars I'll slice it in three or four places. So I <clears throat> I went to me and I, I that's why I told you I don't want something for nothing is that I personally felt that the that the man was a poor businessman not going whew, like my father all right but we have a farm he's down the road I'm not expecting him to look at anything for nothing I told him I said, look, I don't want any receipts. I'll give you cash, or whatever it is, right? And I would have felt a hundred dollars to a hundred, even to hundred fifty dollars somewhere in that range. It literally would have taken him more to to walk back to the truck. More time. The, the tree was was basically on the ground. It just had had a lot of tension on it because of it wasn't one hundred percent broken. And then he would. So basically. I said, tomorrow, my right now? Thank you." I said, "I'll just because I, I told myself so I could just plant the corn around it." So it's probably twenty or thirty or forty dollars worth of corn, fifty dollars worth of corn. Maybe if it grows. If it doesn't grow, there's zero corn. I said, I, "I don't, I don't want to invest that now in it and what have you and go from there." So the the moral of the story is that you know everybody should get paid for what they do. All right. The thing is that if he would have, if he would have had the vision instead of the the, the near side and just seeing what's in front of him he said i got i mean i have a nice piece of land here i got a lot of trees i got trees by my house that need to be cut but i will i but you know my one <clears throat> years ago i had a customer dean stall and he used to say you know pigs get fat hogs get slaughtered if he would have been more reasonable with his pricing and then he says, when he comes back, he says, well, I'll come here with the chipper tomorrow because I'm going to another job. So I'll come here with the chipper. I'll, I'll pull it out of here. He says, oh, this is all cleaned up for, 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 in less than 20 minutes. So now you're telling me it's less than 20 minutes. And I understand that, that you have to amortize the cost of your equipment, your operating. Your, I understand all of that, but whatever. So he came to me, wasted his time, got his clipboard, if he would have been played fair game, I would have given him, and I'm saying 100 hundred, hundred twenty $120 if he wanted. He would have had $120 in literally probably six minutes, all right, do nothing else, get back in his truck and go a mile and a half down the road and be happy, and he would have had somebody that I would say, hey, you, I got want to trim this tree, you want to do this, you want to come by the house. But because of that, he. I guess it's the whole cake or nothing, and today in business, you—I mean—you could never do that in business. And specifically today in business, it can't be the whole cake. <clears throat> yes, you'd love to have the whole cake, but lots of times. It's the the crumbs that you take, and, and I'm not going to deny. I mean, lots of times I got I got hosed in business. All right, I, gave, I did something like I'm saying, and the guy never called me again. All right, which is fine. I'm not asking for for nothing. If you made a hundred or hundred twenty dollars for th- four minutes, five minutes worth of work with your chainsaw, all right, and no danger to you, not getting dirty, not doing anything, no financial exposure, no anything. That's a pretty. I mean, I, I would rather do that all day long, right? make make uh 120 dollars in five in five minutes so that's you know 12 13 1400 dollars an hour so maybe it's way hey, maybe it's what he figured it is this time but who knows <clears throat> god bless him i mean no animus to him whatsoever no animus whatsoever he gets you know he that's what he wanted but he got nothing and the thing is that so many times in life i mean yeah you could do something and i can never call him again but if he got paid a fair price for what he did that quickly like that then it's 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 no big deal so the thing is that whatever but how am i going to use that into a segue of today's show well just like i'm saying is that you know this guy obviously wanted the whole deal right he wanted the whole cake if you couldn't get the whole cake excuse me i'm gonna get some water here so i'm just gonna put the dragster on for a minute okay I'm back so make sure I didn't mess up the wrong button okay I didn't thank God but you know in life you can't always get the whole cake and sometimes you got to do the small cake the crumbs and to eventually get the whole cake so the segue in today's show is the forgotten things that you could do to an engine gasoline or diesel a modern gasoline or diesel engine to make it run so much better by giving it a tune-up without giving it a tune-up all right so you're not doing the whole cake right you're doing these couple of things that are going to make a world of difference in the reliability the performance the economy the throttle response but you're not coming with your chipper and you're not doing and you're not doing it all, right? So those are the things I'm going to discuss today. Now, keep in mind that the word tune-up today is very ambiguous because spark plugs last a really long time today. Uh, there's no moving parts in the ignition system. There's a crank sensor, cam sensor. There's a coil. So the things that if you... There's no carburetors to adjust... Uh, even on a diesel there's no mechanical injection pump the excuse me the injectors are electronically controlled so they bring their own set of problems with them it's not a utopia as far as that is concerned they bring their own set of problems but the you know tune it up every 10 or fifteen thousand miles like it was with the old breaker points and clean the carburetor all the time and adjust the carburetor and and what have you and check the weight in the distributor those days are over but there is a modern version of that tweaking all right and the thing is that even back in the old days when you did it when and i did a show about this a long time ago early on it's probably going to be coming up soon if as we're posting the old episodes is that i was always a slow poke because when i did a tune-up or i did something i did all the steps so i tuned up and i tuned up a car an engine right I would clean the carburetor, I would tighten the carburetor. I'd go around and I would tighten the intake manifold bolts, snug them up that I could that I could uh, <clears throat> that I could reach. <clears throat> Excuse me, or gain access to. I would take the weights out of the distributor, I'd clean the weights, I'd, I'd lubricate them, I'd lubricate the wicking in the distributor. I would, you know, I would do all these things. I would uh, I would clean this sp- <clears throat> I would put anti-C's on the spark plug threads. I would put dielectric grease in the boots right i would check i would check the timing and set the timing you'd be surprised how many mechanics back years ago never would tune up an engine and would never ever put a timing light on it right a tune up to them was was uh, whatever four six eight screws eight six or eight spark plugs back then a new air filter and slam the hood <clears throat> and possibly a fuel filter possibly if it was easy to get to right in most instances they were you had your chryslers that had the uh inline filter that was usually easy to get to and then the gms and the forge usually had a fuel filter that threaded into the flow pole of the carburetor but that that's basically it not adjust the carburetor not clean it just slam the hood and away you go and that's a tune-up right that was never a tune-up to me i used to do all this stuff and then i would tweak it and i would just adjust the mixture all right and um uh, i would adjust the mixture on an automatic transmission i would adjust the mixture in a drive with the wheels chalked and the air cleaner in place you say what are you doing that for well if you understand how a carburetor works i mean, if it was a manual transmission and you didn't have to do that but how a carburetor works and it works on a pressure differential and the air cleaner the load of the torque converter being in gear and the, the, the flow restriction of the air cleaner and the lower speed of the engine is all going to change the characteristics of the fuel delivery inside the carburetor. Not badly, it's going to change it, so it's going to be different, all right? So what do I want to adjust the mixture for the engine in park, or idling in park with the air cleaner off when that's the, the car is not going to be used with a tr- pickup truck with it idling in park with the air cleaner off? <clears throat> so i used to do all of that and when you adjust the carburetor back years ago you gotta make love to this thing you go. Ah, ah, ah. You gotta make love to it it'll talk to you you gotta listen you gotta watch your tachometer for the highest rpm you gotta go feel the exhaust you you smell the exhaust right i would always smell my exhaust i put my hand by the exhaust right and let it run for 10 or 15 20 seconds and put my hand to it and smell it before and after all right even when i had emissions analyzer <clears throat> so Anyway, you do all of this stuff. So what is the modern equivalent of doing a tune-up without a tune-up, all right? Or, hey, cutting a slice in the tree without bringing your chipper. I'm not picking on this guy, but uh, as soon as I saw the notepad, not the notepad, the the clipboard and the stationery and the pen come out, I said, oh, forget about it. All right. uh, But anyway, so there were were a few things that I want to discuss, all right? and they're very very simple to do and they pay huge dividends as far as the engine is concerned and these are going to be for a tier 4 diesel on a maybe not a tier 4 diesel on a combine or a farm tractor because their emission package is different but a road vehicle light duty pickup truck light duty is also one ton pickup truck all right not a class 6 or class 7 you know i mean class 7 or 8 tractor for semi all right and it's going to and for a and I'm going to say a gasoline powered vehicle pickup truck car the last 25 or 30 years all right so we got a big window here all right of of application so the three things that I'm going to that I'm going to ask you to put into your repertoire all right are number 1 cleaning the mass airflow sensor number two cleaning the throttle body and if applicable and i will discuss that the idle speed controller or idle speed control motor and the third thing is cleaning the egr valve and its passages so let's start with the list in the same order i listed them most if not all and most tier 4 diesel pickup trucks use a mass airflow sensor so what the mass airflow sensor is very Well, it's not simple. It's a simplistic function that's complicated to afford to actually create. It uses a sensor, and this sensor is going to sit in the incoming air duct someplace. It may sit, uh, usually in most applications, say it sits in the air filter housing, but it could sit before that or after it right you have to locate it has usually three to five wires or six wires going to it depending upon if it has a temperature sensor in it or not and what it does is that in simplistic terms it measures the incoming airflow and it uses that as a load calculation on the engine for the fuel and ignition timing on gasoline and fueling and injection timing on a diesel all right so this is <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> my thro- my throat is getting real clogged up, but anyway, so very very important. All right. So basically, it's telling the ECU, it's giving it the data. And early on, in computers, not so much in cars, but in computers, they used to say garbage in, garbage out. Well, if you're telling the ECU that's running this gasoline or diesel engine the wrong load because it's based upon the incoming airflow and this sensor is skewing, then that's not going to make the right decision, right? Just like if you go down, he says, hey, how do you you get over here to a cat's front road? And he gives you the wrong directions. You're never going to find you where the cat's Swamp road. So now what happens is that this, this mass airflow sensor has a sensing wire slash element. There's a few different designs out there, but they all basically are doing the same thing and are fall prey to the same contaminants. And these contaminants are the contaminants that are found in the air. So basically, in essence, to be quite honest, which I was talking about those horrific, uh, horrific fires up in Canada, and there was so much uh smoke here all right in in well all over right there's so much smoke but that is actually going to end up coating the sensing wire on the mass airflow sensor and even if there are no forest fires just a natural lim- well or they shouldn't say the natural because there's nothing there's no impurity that's natural the impurities that are in the air and if you live in a dusty environment you live on a dirt road and the guy's coming in front of you and you're eating this dust right all right all of this is going to get on the sensor the sensing element and is going to skew it all right so that means it's going to be out of calibration because of this dirt so it'll be like having a thermometer all right at the thermometer it's reading wrong so there's a product out there that's this products or a product that's called a mass airflow sensor cleaner the one who first came out was a company called crc i spoke about it before i think there may be competing brands i really don't know uh I'm sure that there is because nobody in business today has the market to themselves. And a can is about 8 or $10. It'll last you a long, long time. And basically what you end up needing to do is you take the mass airflow sensor out. You identify, you could see. The CRC is like an electronics cleaner, but do not use electronics parts cleaner because sometimes it affects other parts in the circuitry. This is designed for all mass airflow sensors. And you go, Ch-ch-ch-ch. And you spray the mass airflow sensor. This You could see with a circuitry, with a sensing, sometimes it looks like a little resistor in there, all right? And you spray that. The thing is that some of them have a very sensitive wire, a sensing wire. You don't want to touch... Anything, any part of the, in the internal electronics or the sensing wire, with the tube of the mass airflow sensor cleaner. So you want to hold it away and you and you spray it, and you move it around, spray it this way, spray it that way. A couple of shots. You're not doing the fact you can'll last you a long time. A 16 ounce can. And then you spray it. The stuff dries almost instantly. You take you you reinstall the sensor, and you make sure all of the inlet ducting is tight. for for after the sensor because if it's suck if the engine is sucking air after the sensor that's what they call false air and it's going to skew it even if it's nice and clean so you snug everything up and you have it and now your mass airflow sensor is functioning a hundred percent right it's right in calibration if it has no mechanical error which i've never replaced the mass airflow sensor in my life on any of my vehicles due to a failure all right i clean them right and you will notice quicker throttle response you'll just it'll just be crisper right nice nice all right some people claim that they get better fuel economy if it was very dirty that could skew all right that that's very possible so it's very very easy to do how often do you do it i do it on every oil change all right, so and now I'm, I'm not ready to change my oil, but I'm going to clean my mass airflow sensors because of the the smoke we had from the wildfires. So it just takes two seconds to clean it. All right, very, very simple, very easy. All right, so most Tier 4 diesels, light-duty pickup trucks now use a mass airflow sensor. Almost every gasoline engine uses a mass airflow sensor. If it doesn't use a mass airflow sensor to calculate load on a gasoline, uses what's called a MAP sensor manifold absolute pressure. You don't need to clean that. It works on vacuum, but. You just need to make sure that the vacuum hose going to it has has a lot of integrity to it, that it's not getting soft or pliable. But a lot of engines the past twenty years, when they went to more than twenty years, when they went to OBD two on the gasoline side, had both a mass airflow sensor and a map sensor. So get to know your vehicles, get to know your applications. All right. The second thing that we're going to talk about, and I usually like to do this when I do the mass airflow sensor, because you take be, but it doesn't have to happen then all right that you want to take the inlet ducting off all right so the air and i'm not saying the intake manifold the inlet ducting and you want to get to the throttle body all right which is where the butterfly is most in the past 20 years or so most vehicles had drive by wire all right so it would it would open the throttle throttle plates electrically and the thing is that but with the key on engine off you could usually go in there with your finger and push it open against the electric motor without hurting anything but the important fact here is that the throttle body gets dirty how does the throttle body get dirty gets dirty two ways not from the incoming air it gets dirty from the introduction of exhaust gas recirculation which we're going to talk about in a few minutes and also from the fumes of the gasoline and the engine oil during overlap of the camshaft so overlap is when both valves are open and there's some reversion back into the manifold all right so the thing is that the throttle body and they you'll take some engines Let's say like some 4 the Toyotas where the throttle body is on the bottom, all right, which is hard to get to. <clears throat> the throttle is on the bottom, and they're more prone to getting dirty because these fumes are dropping with gravity, all right? But most applications, the throttle body is fairly up high, easy to access, all right? And the thing is that when you're buying the mass airflow sensor cleaner, buy yourself a spray can of co- of Throttle body cleaner. Lots of times they'll say now throttle body and carburetor cleaner. You really want to make sure it says throttle body cleaner and you're buying it from a reputable manufacturer, CRC, whatever, gum out, what have you, not the Walmart brand, all right, for the simple, unless you're very intimate with your throttle body, because some throttle bodies came from the factory with a coating on them there would be and the purpose of the coating was to help us i'm going to make it an analogy it's it's not an accurate analogy but it's a good metaphor like a teflon coating on a frying pan it was a non-stick coating to try to not allow the throttle body to build crud on it all right so the thing is that and if you were to use a carburetor cleaner you would remove that coating so in theory a throttle body cleaner is supposed to be benign to the coating in theory all right but that's the world we live in so if you stick with a name brand throttle body cleaner even if it says throttle body and carburetor cleaner then you are going to be fine if you know that the throttle body has no coating on it you could usually see the coating it's usually like a light greenish but if it's all dirty you will not know it then you could use a carburetor cleaner. But if you don't know, buy the throttle body cleaner. It's it's not much more money and you could use it for a carburetor also. All right, and then what you want to do is you want to clean that throttle body, right? And you want to open it up somehow with your fingers and you want to take a rag and you want to spray it in there and you want to clean that. You don't want to flood the motor, all right? So the thing is that because it may pop and backfire when you go to start it. But the thing is that, and you don't want to blow out the sensing element on the mass airflow. But if you use some common sense, if you clean it and you're good with that and you you take a a rag and you spray that with the the throttle body cleaner, spray it in there, as long as you don't put the whole can in there, you're going to be fine. And if you have something like a Toyota where the throttle body is facing towards the ground, it's going to be harder to clean, but impossible for you to flood it with that so it's very important to clean that throttle body why is it important to clean that throttle body because what will happen is that gunk will impede the airflow and if it's and if it's not if it's drive-by wire then what is going to happen is to get the proper airflow the electric motor that opens the throttle plates is going to have to open it more now i'm not saying about going 80 miles an hour down the road but when you're at idle Idle, low speeds, and off idle. All right. If it's if it's all gunked up and and it's it's gonna be dirty. It's not gonna be dirty like you're gonna take it out with a spoon. That let's say you're pulling away from a stop you have to open up the opening up the throttle. Whereas it should open up three or four degrees and making up a number, it has to open up five or six degrees. So what's going to happen is that it's going to skew it because now you have your nice clean mass airflow sensor and it's saying, well, I should be three, you know, for this amount of airflow, I should have three degrees opening. You say, well, how does it know how much it's open? Well, the throttle position sensor is going to tell it. So... Basically, in essence, what you're doing is you're bringing this all into synchronization by the throttle body being clean, the throttle bore being clean, the the, the throttle plates being clean, all right? It doesn't have to be surgically clean as if you're doing brain surgery, but it doesn't take much, and if you constantly do this with every oil change... <clears throat> unless you're the type of person who never changes your oil and hope then you probably should not be listening to this show anyway, or won't be listening to it, is that it's not really going to get dirty. And you go in there and you spray and you clean it. And now we have everything right. So we have everything right in calibration. You will be surprised how much, and I'm going to say better, from 70 to 90 miles an hour is going to be any different. Most likely not. All right. But uh, the mass airflow sensor may... But pulling away with a load on a truck, pulling away from a traffic, like climbing a hill, lots of times you will even see the the automatic transmission shifts nicer. How can that be? Well, because then again, it's looking at this algorithm for throttle angle, air input, and what have you. That's not always the case. But it's, it's like putting a seed in the ground and having good seed to soil contact and closing the furrow well and doing everything right, and leaving it up to God after that, right, so clean your mass airflow sensor, clean your throttle body, keep after it, you got it between those two things, you got about $18 worth of chemical, that'll last you a long time, all right, so that is that, the next thing, so this is, it, right, this is a tune-up without a tune-up, this is cutting my tree without cleaning it all up, all right, and the thing is that, the last thing is that both gasoline and diesel engines is that how many times have you taken off your egr valve and cleaned it and i'll tell you right now probably never excuse me if you didn't have a code or something now egr is exhaust gas recirculation and it's taking exhaust gas which is inert does not burn but has it it has deposits in it right it has carbon in it and it's putting it in the cylinder as a filler to reduce the temperature in the cylinder, uh, I've said this many times before. Zeldovich equation—it's a filler, so it's taking the place of combustible mixture. So even though it's substantially hotter than incoming air, it is cooler than combustible mixture, and it's meant to lower oxides of nitrogen emissions. Now, what happens is that the ECU again—you know, this, this engine management system—I'm uh, not going to say that they're very smart. All right, because smart is not the right. They look at a lot of different things. All right, so they read the tea leaves of what's going on. All right, so it knows that it's supposed to give so much EGR under this driving condition. That's what the calibration is, and that's what I used to do, and I used to evaluate for BMW. He's gonna look at it. Says for this for this condition, I should have this much EGR, and a lot of EGR valves over the past twenty years have a sensor on them to see how much. Because in engineering, we call that degrees of freedom. It's how much adjustability. So if we have a sensor on the EGR valve. And it usually sits on the top says, okay, the EGR valve moved, whatever. I'm gonna make up another half inch. It doesn't all right. That move the half inch. So then what it does, it says if we move the half inch, we should have influenced the air fuel ratio by this much. That does the math, because all this is math, all right? And and by this much, because we introduced that much inert exhaust gas. And if it doesn't see that then it knows something is wrong. Will it put a check engine light on, service Possibly if it is wrong, but lots of times, just like the dirty mass airflow sensor, it starts to skew the calibration. The calibration is there, the calibration is right, but there's, there's, there, there, there's trim tables in the calibration and it starts to skew it. And then what basically happens with EGR is over time, The pintle of the valve could get carboned up and and not close, but more importantly, the passage that feeds the EGR, which is almost akin to like an old heat riser passage on an older carbureted engine to bring heat up gets carboned up so maybe this passage is not fully carboned but it's very very restricted if it's very restricted so what's going to happen is that when the valve opens up whatever the half inch we said instead of getting so much exhaust gas all right so much in volume of exhaust gas it's 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 like a kink in a garden hose right there's some water coming out but it's not uh, not what it's supposed to be it's very restricted so, a service procedure, and you don't need to do this with every oil change. All right, a service procedure is to take the EGR valve off. If you want to do it once a year, once two years, once every fifty thousand miles, whatever, depending upon how much you use the vehicle and what you do with. Now, keep in mind <clears throat> that. On a diesel engine and on a gasoline engine, if you use if you're not good with changing the oil and if you use cheaper oil, all right, and doesn't have the right chemical composition in, you're gonna build more carbon in the EGR passage, and that's what a very common problem is today with diesel engines. People with short trip cycles, they carbon up the EGR same thing with gasoline but more with diesel so the guy who buys the cheapest oil doesn't change the oil the guy who never advertises his fuel never does all of that doesn't listen listens to me but doesn't act on what i tell him is going to specifically on a light duty diesel is going to carbon it up right even if you do everything right you will have discoloration there all right i mean my escort that i retired at four hundred and fifty thousand miles I would take the EGR valve off every 200,000 miles or so and clean the passages they were black I mean they were black there was no there was they, they were black from the exhaust gas coming through probably a, a very dark gray there was no debris there there was nothing there there was no flow restriction i'd spray with some carpet cleaner it would be fine to be beautiful all right so the thing is that you need to do that if you've never done it and then you may have some trouble getting that carbon out but you need to have those passages clean so they have the full flow potential now there is going to be a caveat to this is that before you pull the egr valve off of anything you are going to have to buy a new gasket all right do not take the egr valve off until you have that gasket in hand all right so that's because otherwise you're going to have a leak and it's going to have an air leak in the engine it's going to mess everything up you say i listen to that hot rod farmer i had no problems until i listened to what he did right so the thing is that you need to get a gasket when i had my shop all right i did i know i i you know, I, I kept EGR gas for Buick Grand Nationals, kept them in stock. For two import GMOs, kept them in stock. For five liter Mustangs, kept them in stock, right? Kept all of that in stock, all right? Because they're not expensive. I say, let's hey, do the service on this Buick 3800. I got the EGR gasket here, right? The thing is that, and the other thing to keep in mind is that <clears throat> if you're an old time mechanic, right like bruce and i and glendon and many others that are out there listening is that you will probably have a distributor wrench a distrib- an old-fashioned distributor wrench is usually the easiest if the bolt if the nut is the right size right is the is the easiest to get access to the egr bolts the nuts they're usually nuts on a stud not a bolt but don't hold me to it. Like, oh no, I worked on this Toyota. Oh, no, I don't know. So anyway, but the thing is that because the the valve is round, all right, and it's it's, it's like a mushroom, and you have to get underneath it. And, and if you have a distributor wrench, so if you have a certain engine, let's say you got a Power Stroke, you got a Duramax, you got something else or whatever, you got a a, a four cylinder X Y Z, all right. Identify what size nut that is. And then if you have, and if you could get access to it with a box end wrench, God bless you, you're fine. But usually, in my and from my experience, is that you would really struggle. So if it's a 13 millimeter bolt a nut on it, all right, that's close enough to half inch. I had an old, I had a number of distributor wrenches, all right, that I had in my toolbox when I was working, and and I, I knew I had this one which was a half inch. I forgot what the distributor was for. It, it may have been for a fool. I don't remember. Honestly, I remember it wasn't a Buick. I know that because I know what the Buick wrench looked like. And that worked perfect on a 13-millimeter th- uh, nut on an EGR valve. Perfect. right because you need to get underneath there at a right angle and you need to break it loose all right so the thing is that if you never took it off before you're going to want to soak it with some penetrating oil get your distributor wrench they may make an egr wrench for now but distributor wrench works perfectly and then when you put it back together do the best you can to clean the threads on the stud all right you obviously got to clean the gasket surface on both parts all right and then put some anti-seize compound on the stud Put the nuts in there, snug it up good, away you go. And now how are you going to clean the passage? Depending upon how dirty it is, how much carbon is in it. You may need to buy something like the GM Top Engine Cleaner. They have it in an aerosol can and spray it down there. You may need to use some picks and some tools, usually carburetor cleaner, will clean it up good. But keep in mind that that passage is going to go right into the intake manifold or it is in the right into the cylinder so whatever valve is open you don't want to flood this with three gallons of liquid and hydro lock the engine all right you're going to knock that carbon down and in theory, it's going to burn right off. All right. I did have a rare instance once where a piece of carbon got lodged between the once, once in 40 years, 30 years, that it uh, got lodged. It was a pretty bad EGR passage and it got lodged between the uh, center electrode and side electrode and, and the plug misfired. <clears throat> but if you pulled, if you knew what cylinder it was and you pulled the plug out, you cleaned the carbon, put it right, it was fine. But those are the things that you need to do. All right, so you're going to need to clean the mass airflow sensor, clean the throttle body, every oil change, all right, every couple of years 40, 50, 60, 70,000 miles, depending upon what you're doing all right how you're using it you're going to pull that egr valve and clean it or clean it and clean not the valve just the valve the valve is the least of it it's the passage because one passage is the egr feed now some of them have an external feed to them right you'll see a pipe that comes up each one but then those passages in the manifold are just the going into the cylinders so the thing is that you clean that you put it back on there you can make sure you have your gasket, identify the wrench, put that in your toolbox. This in most applications, the EGR valve is not hidden terribly. <clears throat> in most, in some they may be but if you do those three things you're going to do a wonderful tune-up without a tune-up your engine is going to love it it's going to run efficiently it's going to run cleanly it's going to run properly and you will see a big difference specifically with the throttle response and the way the engine just 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 to it's, see it's, it's it's lively it's lively it feels like it's alive so i want to thank you so much and when long again as per usual and uh and i I greatly appreciate you listening and uh and i don't want you to get the wrong impression with that tree story i mean look if the guy wants five hundred dollars god bless him i mean god bless him you know but to me it's not worth five hundred dollars and all i wanted was you know i want one slice of pizza i don't want a whole pie i don't want you know a, a lasagna i want one slice of pizza right all i want them to do was slice it I didn't expect him to do it for free as a neighbor, and I felt that. You know at the the number i had in my head 100 120 take an experienced guy like that literally five minutes to slice it he's a mile down the road he gets back in his truck he goes home he's not riding 50 miles we build a relationship and when i have trees that fall down like that i say to him hey come over here when you get a chance to slice this up we'll do the same deal and he would have walked away with money in his pocket instead of wanting no so please don't get the wrong impression of me about that i don't want anybody to work for free nor am i looking for anything for free in life but in the same token is that nobody runs and gives me their money so i have to be prudent and 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 do what i have to do just like everybody else does so i want to thank you so much for listening and i want you to know what the hot rod farmer's poem for you the american farmer and ranger and my beloved america Have a blessed day and god willing we all get some rain and those people with the forest fires get some help. They need rain too, right? Bye-bye.